Hey, it's Peter here with MyFSHD. I was thinking we're going to do a weekly podcast, that's what we had in mind, but every once in a while something kind of comes up, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just squeeze one in, a little half episode, just something about uh, just FSHD basics. And because I use a lot of lingo, we use we flip, you know, a lot of words around here that are just common to us, a lot of concepts, and realize that not always common concepts to everybody. Um, check out the MyFSHD webpage, however, and you can learn all about everything we're talking about, whether it's CRISPR, uh, antisense, uh, FRG, you know, other, other genes, uh, the genetics of FSHD, FSHD1, or FSHD2. And it's all there. I know you realize, you know, maybe, maybe people aren't aware, maybe you don't have time, but it is there if you ever need, if you're the type that where a, a picture really helps or a figure really helps, you know, we've, we have them there. But I'm going to talk to you because, you know, maybe you're the type that just needs, needs to hear it. And so I just want to talk a little bit about FSHD1 and FSHD2, some of the some of the nuts and bolts of it. Okay, so FSHD, fasciocapulohumeral muscular dystrophy, I assume we're all on board with that by now. Uh, all forms are caused by the aberrant overexpression of the DUX4 gene from within the D4Z4 array located on chromosome 4Q35. Okay, and that's good for FSHD1, FSHD2, FSHD1 plus 2, and these things that some people call FSHD 3, 4, 5, and whatever, which to me are actually just other forms of FSHD 2. Okay, but the DUX4 gene misexpression in your skeletal muscles, that's, as far as we understand it, that's causal for FSHD. And what that means are the therapeutics targeting DUX4, like lesmopamod, which is in clinical trial, that uh, putatively shuts down expression or turns off the DUX4 gene. That's how it's supposed to work. It works that way in cell culture, at least. Um, that would work for FSHD1, FSHD2, FSHD1 plus 2. Antisense oligonucleotides work for all. Because these are kind of common questions I get a lot. You know, are therapeutics going to work for both? And probably one of the most common questions I get is what's the difference between FSHD1 and 2? And what do I got? And, you know, we just kind of cover why does it matter? It matters for inheritance more than therapy. So what is FSHD1 versus FSHD2? So we, we know, we've talked about this a lot. At some point, you got to start and say, that, okay, we know a little bit. We know that uh, you have two chromosomes of, you know, for every, you have, you have 23 pairs of chromosomes, one each from mom, one each from dad, right? And chromosome four is where the FSHD region is. And so the long arm of chromosome four, that's what the Q uh, chromosomes are not equally divided. There's a short arm, the P arm, that's petite, and the Q arm is the long arm, um, just because Q comes after P. And <laughs> that's pretty much as far as I understand, that's what it is. And for Q35, you can count out, there's a kind of way that you count chromosome distance or spacing uh, by staining, the old school way of looking at it, the band 35 on point two, is where the D4Z4 array is, okay? And a D4Z4 array is, this is a DNA sequence that is 3,303 bases long. That is a D4Z4 repeat unit. And it is repeated many times, head to tail, head to tail, head to tail. And uh, this become in a direct repeat. And this is, an, call it an array. It's just a whole bunch of these repeats together. And this is located on chromosome 4Q35. And the general population, you know, can have anywhere from 20 to, to 100, 120. It's not really clear. I think on average, maybe in the mid-20s, mid-30s, of these D4, Z4 repeat units 
on each chromosome four. Okay, one for mom, one for dad. Different different size repeats on each chromosome. Yeah, there's very great variability in this repeat array. Now inside each one of these D four Z fours is the a part of the Dux four gene. Okay, the first part of the Dux four gene. Okay, now there's two parts that are very important, and the first part is in each D four Z four repeat. Okay. The second part that's really key that makes it permissive, you've heard this term FSHD permissive a lot, or for A, we'll just call it A arbitrarily, and B is non-permissive. The second part is in the 4A subtelomere, and so the last D4Z4 repeat unit is the only one where you can put together part one of Dux4 and part two of Dux4. Now, if you're non-permissive and you're 4B, you can't put on part two. You just have part one. And so that's why you don't get FSHD, because you have to have part one and part two in that last repeat unit to have get FSHD. But, you know, healthy people have it. Everybody has it. It's kind of an unusual thing about FSHD. Everybody has an intact, well, has that first part of Dux4, and 75% of the population has the second part of Dux4, okay? But most people don't have FSHD, so there's more to it. And that's where we get into FSHD1. So normally in the healthy or non-FSHD population, this D4Z4 repeat array, this, this um, sequence that is repeated again and again and again, well, your genome recognizes this as something that is bad, typically. Um, looks like something that's a viral sequence. Repetitive DNA, typically in somatic cells, which means your general body cells, not your sperm or your eggs, but in your general cells, um, they get turned off. That's a signal that says, turn me off. Okay, viral DNAs that insert into your genome are repetitive. We don't need to get into it too much. They say, turn me off. Okay, so normally the D4Z4 repeat array on the chromosome from mom and the chromosome from dad that you have, your chromosome fours, are off. Okay, so you have the Dux4 gene, part one. 75% of you have um, an A, and so you are you have part two, but it's off, okay, in your muscle cells. Now, what happens in FSHD is in FSHD1, there is the mutation that causes FSHD1 deletes part of that D4Z4 array so that now that you have fewer than 10 repeats, really fewer than 11 repeats, we'll say it's 1 to 10 repeats left. And now you have FSHD1 genetically, assuming you also have that second part, the 4A. Right, so you still have the same part one, and each if you have three repeats, five repeats, one repeat, um, you have part one of Dux4. And if you have the A on that same chromosome, then you have part two of Dux4. And you've lost the off signal now, though. The deletion in FSHD1, now that is your cell does not view this anymore as a repetitive region. And the signal that says, turn me off, is not there. And it's able to be turned on. Okay, not necessarily... It is on, but it's able to be turned on. You lost the repression, so an epigenetic derepression. Okay, now if you have no D4Z, so people always ask, you know, it's one to four, it's one to ten D4Z4 repeat units. If you have zero D4Z4 repeat units, you don't have the Dux4 gene, and you don't have FSHD. So zero is okay. Uh, one to ten is FSHD1, and then more than ten is not FSHD1. Okay, and so FSHD1, you've lost the signal that says turn me off. And the Dux4 gene can be turned on. It turns out that, and so all your cells are like this, but only your your skeletal muscle cells actually turn it on for reasons we're 
you know, we have some ideas why, but your, your skeletal muscle cells turn it on and you express ducts four. And, and now you're going to have, this leads to the, initiates the cascade of pathology that gives you FSHD. Okay. So what about FSHD2? That's also ducts four. Well, FSHD2 was originally classified as contraction independent FSHD. So the idea was that if you have uh, FSHD, clinical FSHD, and you came back negative by the FSHD1 deletion testing, well, then you're just FSHD2. Well, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, <laughs> as we've learned. Um, but now we know that uh, in the majority of actual FSHD2 cases, what happens is that there's a mutation in another gene, but these genes are, you know, there's, and there's several of them out there and more to be identified that uh, cause the same exact issue as you see in FSHD1. Okay, now it's contraction independent. So the signal is still there that says you, you have more than 10 repeat units. You actually have between 11 and, and roughly 20. Yeah, the, number, the upper number keeps changing, but you know, let's say around 20 repeat units. And uh, so you, the signal that says shut me off is still there. But what happens in FSHD2 is that the actual switch is broken. Okay, turn me off, but you can't do it. Okay, the end result is the same, that the Dux4 gene is turned is allowed to be on, right? It's lost epigenetic repression. The off switch is broken. So even though the off signal is there, the off switch is broken, Dux4 becomes expressed. And that again in skeletal muscles, no, you know, then that leads to the cascade of FSHD pathophysiology. Okay, and that's why that the you know drugs targeting the regulation of Dux4 and drugs targeting um, the uh, Dux4 mRNA and Dux4 targeting uh, Dux4 protein are going to work for both FSHD1 and FSHD2. Now, what are these uh, genes? So we can, you know, so there's a way to say, how do you determine then if you're, you know, I made this comment that, man, maybe you are, maybe you aren't FSHD2. Well, that's a really important thing. So what we know is that, well, one, clinical, clinical FSHD can often be confused with clinical limb girdles or clinical other uh, neuromuscular diseases by, you know, neurologists have a tough job. There's a lot of a lot of different uh, neuromuscular diseases out there that are very similar. And well, there's a lot of variability in FSHD. You know, there's reason. And some are just frankly better than others at doing it or, or vice versa, not as good as others. And so uh, what, what you can check it by looking at the epigenetics. So that's actually what the research testing our lab does that you've heard about. Uh, you can check because I mentioned you lost this ability to repress Dux4 and turn it off in both FSHD1 and FSHD2. So you can find, you can identify that looking at the DNA methylation or the off switch. You look at, you know, has it been turned off or not been turned off? If it's been turned off, well, it's just not FSHD. If it is still in the on state, the unmethylated or the epigenetic on state, um, then it is FSHD2. So it's pretty clear. Then you can go in and look and find out why there's a gene called SMCHD1. There's a counted, you know, that's SMUCHD1. I, I hate it when people call that, but I just go with SMCHD1. I hate saying SMUCHD1, but whatever. You may have heard that. Mutations in this gene uh, can are, are what cause about 80-85% of FSHD2. Okay, and this is on chromosome uh, 18, um, P, petite. And so, so now, now this affects, you know, how, why, do, why do we care? Well, therapeutically, it's fine. Well, uh, inheritance matters because FSHD1 is considered an autosomal dominant 
gain-of-function disease. And what that means is that, well, you have 22 autosomes, that's chromosomes 1 through 22, and then the sex chromosomes are X and Y. So chromosome 4 is an autosome, and it's dominant, which means only one of the two chromosomes need to have the mutation in order to uh, have FSHD1. And so when you have kids, you have a 50% chance, in theory, of passing on the mutated chromosome, and then they would have FSHD, or the healthy chromosome, in which case FSHD is no longer in that line. Okay. Now, FSHD2 is called what's known as a digenic disease. Okay. You still have the FSHD region. You still have to have chromosome 4, a certain size array, and the 4A. You have to have both parts of Dux4. So you still have to have four. Actually, if you have an SMCH1 mutation and you're BB with non-permissive, you don't have the second part of Dux4, you don't get FSHD2. So just a mutation, and this is what makes it hard to find it genetically. But this is where mutations, uh, you know, FSHD2 is kind of weird in families, okay, because it can kind of seemingly skip generations. So you have to have two parts. It's digenic. So you need to have the permissive, FSHD permissive chromosome 4, D4, Z4 with a 4A in a certain size array. And that's chromosome 4. So you have a 50% chance of getting the mutated one, or not the mutated one, the permissive one and 50% chance of the other one. Now, the other, they could both be permissive, in which case, you know, it's 100% chance. It's just, you know, you can't go through all the cases, but that's where the math on the inheritance gets kind of fuzzy. But you definitely have a 50% chance of inheriting the mutated SMCHT1 gene and a 50% chance of the unmutated SMCHT1 gene. In which case, if you have a permissive array, um, and you need to have both the mutated SMCHD1 gene and the permissive array. So it could be a 50% chance, could be a 25% chance, could be one in eight chance, actually. So, you know, it's, it's greatly variable. And so you could pass on the FSHD2 mutation in SMCHD1 to a child, and they might not have FSHD because they're, they're uh, non-permissive. But then if they pass that on to their child, now your grandkid, that's where, and then, and, and they, that they do have a, a permissive allele from the other parent. Now, all of a sudden it reappears. So, so it's kind of a little bit different. So that's why it matters is really for family planning and for understanding variability in the family. And then there's FSHD one plus two. Okay. And there's a, everyone else said, oh, this must be really rare. Oh, this doesn't happen. Or we're just a bunch of idiots. Um, I get that a lot. <laughs> I've been called a lot of things. Um, and some of them true. And, uh, you know, one of the things, so FSHD wants to, you know, you go to a neurologist and, you know, you get, now, okay, you got FSHD, send you off for testing, you know, and three years later, you get your result back. And it says uh, FSHD1, okay. And, okay, well, you're done, right? Um, it's FSHD. Hey, we figured it out. And that's great. No one ever checked for FSHD2. You only check for FSHD2 if that comes back negative. Nowadays, you do some genome sequencing on gene panels is another reason. But, you know, the FSHD1 test is very specific to FSHD1. You have to go out of your way to do it. You don't find it on your typical genome sequencing. So now you're FSHD1 um, uh, or FSHD2. Well, it turns out, and a really good study, great study um, led by uh, Sabrina Sacconi, um, who's a fantastic neurologist in Nice in France, uh, well, yeah, Nice, yeah. And um, she, uh, working with, again, the group up in Leiden on the Vandermeer lab, you know, showed that, well, there are people that have both FSHD1 
and the FSHD2 mutation. And what this is, these are people that tend to be more severe than you would expect. So we know with FSHD1 that the smaller your mutation, okay, meaning the more repeats that you have, the more mild it tends to be. And we see this also with epigenetism where there's some variability. But, you know, one, two, and three repeats tend to be more severe. Four, five, and six tend to be pretty mild. Seven maybe as well. Eight, nine, and ten, even especially when you get up to nine and ten, you almost never see clinical FSHD in these nine and ten, right? So what they found is, well, you have some people that have nine and ten repeats that are pretty severe. This is really out of the ordinary. And being a good scientist like they are, um, outstanding scientists, frankly, um, what they figured out is they went through and looked and you find that, oh, the people, you know, in the family, everyone in the family is, that has FSHD mutations can have the same size mutation. So if you're an eight repeat family, everybody's eight repeats. If you're a nine repeat family, everybody's nine repeat that has the mutation. But all of a sudden someone shows up that's super severe compared to everyone else. What, you know, why is that? And it uh, turns out, well, they have an FSHD2 mutation. So now you've been hit twice and you're actually acting more like a one, two or three repeat. Okay. And that's FSHD1 plus two. So how common is this? Well, no one knows because everyone goes in and gets FSHD1 testing and then it stops, right? So we're actually finding this in our diagnostic or our research testing that we do in the lab that there are a number of people that fit uh, that are F confirmed FSHD1 that fit the epigenetic criteria of FSHD2. And so we would return a result of FSHD1 plus 2. Now, it doesn't really mean anything um, from a therapy standpoint. Again, um, if anything, it actually might be good, <laughs> good news in the some respect because I could imagine... FSHD2 specific therapies that directly affect SMCHD1 levels or fixing SMCHD1 mutation that would not be applicable if you're just FSHD1. Now, these might be much more of a personalized medicine thing, but that's okay. It's um, in general, uh, since 95% of the FSHD population is at least FSHD1, we don't know how many are FSHD1 plus 2, most therapies are tested primarily against FSHD1. Um, and but they're going to conceptually work for FSHD2, at least those targeting Dux4. And um, in our lab, we always test both our CRISPR technology. We test both FSHD1 and 2. It actually works better in FSHD2, oddly enough. Um, and we have some reasons we we think we understand that. But um, but you know, therapeutically, I think it's really not going to going to matter so much. It's really more about inheritance and 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 also understanding your yourself and understanding, you know, some people just want to know, hey, why am I so severe when no one else in the family is severe? You know, what? why does it suck so much for me? And it's really not not, not of anger, it's just kind of curiosity, right? Why? What, what's up? Well, you know, that's probably the answer, that your FSHD1 plus 2, not, not, and there's more genes besides SMCHD1. I mentioned that that is uh, uh, about 85%. There's two other genes have been identified, DNA methyltransferase 3B, that's DNMT3B, and LRIF1, no idea what that stands for, um, but, uh, and there's going to be more. There will be more out there. They're just going to be hard to find, again, because once you get your diagnosis of FSHD, or if you get your diagnosis, well, people need to be doing epigenetic screening to find these people. And that's kind of the service we provide, because if you find someone that fits the criteria of FSHD2, meaning epigenetic dysregulation where the off switch is broken, and they don't have changes in SMCHD1, well, there's a good chance they just have a, protein, a genetic mutation that we just haven't discovered yet. And that's cool, too. You know, the mechanism is going to be the same, but in general. Um, but anyway, so that's the nuts and bolts of FSHD, right? We want to know what the D4Z4 is, right? That is the repeat unit in, in FSHD, the DUX4 gene 
The first half of it is in each D4Z4 unit. The second half is in that 4A subtelomere. The non-permissive 4B subtelomere does not have the second half. And that's why um, FSHD is not associated with that. And FSHD1 is where you have lost the signal that says turn me off. And that is why you are epigenetically on and able to express ducts for and skeletal muscle. And FSHD2, you still have the signal that says turn me off, but you know, um, the, the switch is broken and it, your, your cellular machinery can't turn you off. And so you're expressing ducts for an ounce of muscle. So, and from then on, it's pretty much the same. And so that's how it goes. So, so anyway, I just, you know, it, it has been brought to my attention that, you know, maybe we just need a little primer course here. Just kind of stick it in on the, on the half episode and check it out. Um, so I told you the, the next episode was going to be uh, Dr. Bellew. And uh, that is still true. It's just going to be coming up middle of, middle of the week. Uh, but, you know, this is FSHD, FSHD1, FSHD2 in a nutshell. And I hope that, that is, this has been maybe less entertaining but more educational. So, all right. So I'll catch you later. Bye.